Good afternoon. You are listening to Don Land Signals on WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Maria Gerard. And I am your co-host, Esther Ann. Dawnland Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change here in the Dawnland. We explore topics such as restorative justice, restorative practices, decolonization, cultural revival, and more. Our guests are people involved in aspects of truth, healing, and change work. This program is offered in an effort to share, inspire, and inform. Don Land Signals is a collaboration of Maine Wabanaki Reach and WERU FM. Good afternoon. Uh, our topic this is Esther Ann, your co host. Our topic this month is land acknowledgements. Um, and we have two very special guests with us today. Um, as with all of the shows, when, when we're getting ready uh, for them, I, I do some research and, and there's quite a lot of uh, writing out there about land acknowledgements. There's a lot of advice that's giving um, some is real thorough and mindful, full of process for how to get to it. And some are, are pretty, you know, just fill in the blanks, <laughs> fill in the blank of the tribe here and, and seem pretty um, kind of scripted. I found um, the Duwamish tribe on their website. I just wanted to read this one, these few sentences, this one paragraph they had, because I think it, it really sets up the conversation that we want to have here today about land acknowledgements. <clears throat> it says, it is important to note that this kind of acknowledgement is not a new practice developed by colonial institutions. Land acknowledgement is a traditional custom dating back centuries for many native communities and nations. For non-Indigenous communities, land acknowledgement is a powerful way of showing respect and honoring the Indigenous peoples of the land on which we work and live. Acknowledgement is a simple way of resisting the erasure of Indigenous histories and working towards honoring and inviting the truth. So the conversation we're uh, hoping to have here today um, we'll talk about many of those things uh, in that paragraph from where, where this interest has come from, um, all the different aspects of land acknowledgements, and um, just have, you know, some advice on, uh, and we're hoping folks leave with a better sense of what they are and um, all of the different um, contexts and complexities of them. Uh, but before I introduce our guests, um, Maria We'll do our land acknowledgement. Yes, yeah, so before we delve into the discussion, let's just take a moment to acknowledge the land beneath our feet, Wabanaki, the land of the first light, the dawn land, land that has known Wabanaki ancestors, the tallest trees and the oldest rivers, land that has known peace and conflict land that has nourished us and sustained us since time immemorial. We acknowledge the indigenous peoples of this land, Wabanaki, the Passamaquoddy, the Penobscot, Mi'kmaq, Maliseet, and Abenaki. Nadal Nabem Nawak, we are broadcasting from WERU studio in Blue Hill, Alamusic, Wabanaki. Only one, Maria. So today we have two um, 
guests with us, not in the studio, as you know, that we are um, actually having to pre-record these shows because of the pandemic. But I'm looking here at our guests and we have Darren Rako, a Penobscot <clears throat> citizen and the chair of the Native American programs at the University of Maine in Orono. And we also have Diane Altrzewski, who is a Belfast resident a member of the Friends Committee on Maine Public Policy and a member of the Board of Maine Wabanaki Reach. Welcome. Yes, welcome. Uh, thanks, Thank Esther you. and Maria. I really appreciate it being here. Me too. So this is Maria. So as Esther was saying, it seems that land acknowledgements seem to be all the rage these days. Um, and I'm wondering Darren, if you could share some thoughts around where is this newfound interest and enthusiasm for land acknowledgements coming from? Thanks for the question, Maria. And uh, I feel like uh, it's a little bit of deja vu. We were at um, Bowdoin almost a year ago, Maria. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> discussing, I think uh, almost the same <laughs> topic. Um, and uh, I don't know if my old age and calcification of my brain. Hopefully it's not too redundant. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, and it's, it, it mimics some other things that, um, you know, I, I really appreciate what Esther uh, took from the Duwamish um, example, because that clears the space for the fact that this does come out of, um, it, you know, recognizing your, your place on the landscape and your, and your relation to ancestors is, you know, a critical part of so many native traditions on the, on the one hand. Um, and then on the other, this sort of um, institutionalization of this, of these kinds of acknowledgements. Um, and I would agree with the, the general point that they're unevenly done and unevenly kind of um, in, uneven in sincerity and, and implementation. And one of the things that, um, one of the major points I make when I when I discuss it is uh, that that um, if they don't represent you know a um, a connection to and a collabor in collaborations with indigenous people and more structural transformations in institutions, I, I I I they feel they feel even if they're done well they feel a little bit um, disingenuous uh, to me, uh, and I'll talk more about that later. I, I do believe, though, that the proliferation of them, and uh, Esther might know some of this history because I know that she was paying attention to this work, um, is uh, comes out of the TRC process in Canada, actually. Um, while land acknowledgements weren't in the 94 calls to action to um, um, acknowledge and heal and um, transform the boarding school experience in Canada, which is what their TRC was about, I don't believe land acknowledgements. I took a quick look last night, just making sure I have this history right. It wasn't there, but a lot of the discussions um, for structural change in Canadian institutions, uh, land acknowledgements was part of them and became more, there were a couple of reports and I, um, and people can find them online. It, it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's the kind of the resources that Esther was referring to, and maybe we can kind of post that as a link or something afterwards. Um, but it, it definitely, um, as the TRC in Canada was wrapping up uh, 20, 
13, 2014, and then the, of course the report um, comes out for them in 2015 as well. Um, the, the land acknowledgement um, um, recognition of that starts to really take hold in Canadian institutions. And I think there's a lot of overlap um, to, in terms of um, indigenous um, scholars and, and other people um, in, interested in transfer, transforming uh, colonial institutions that US and Canada, we share a lot of relations as of course, as Wabanaki people, this is natural for us, but uh, I think even more broadly, there's a, there's a nice set of connections there. So yeah, I think I think that's the beginning and, and I think it, it, it has both those sort of legacies of a traditional um, set of um, uh, practices for indigenous people, but then it also is in, in attempts by settler institutions to quote unquote um, heal and reconcile and, and fix um, all the many wrongs that they have uh, done and related to indigenous people. I think it comes out of that energy, which I think is a, is a very important energy, um, even though I'm gonna be kind of critical of it. Like, again, um, you know, this should be viewed as an ongoing set of practices uh, and, 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 and should never be just solved with one statement or one thing that someone reads. And um, I will say at the University of Maine, um, where we have a, uh, an indigenous Penobscot, primarily Penobscot language signage project and, and some other things and MOU was signed a couple of years ago, we were reluctant to really even implement or put through a, a land acknowledgement until we had more permanent markers of, an, of indigenous space on campus. Um, it felt disingenuous to us to have a kind of statement read at the beginning of something that wasn't backed up with more structural or more everyday kinds of occurrences. So for us in thinking about this as a move towards uh, decolonization, um, it's, it's a very important um, uh, notion that there be more permanence to even these statements that can be read or posted on a website, but it's not impacting the institutional process or, 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 or institutional work on a broader scale unless we, we embed them more into uh, places. And so because land acknowledgement is to counter erasure, one of the things that it does is counter erasure. Um, um, we felt that the, the language signs do add a, a more permanent element to that combating of erasure, which is just one element of right. what a decolonial process would look like. Yeah, this is Esther. One of the things I did discover um, when I was doing some reading is that the land acknowledgements by institutions, um, like you talked about, really are, are have been happening in the West for a lot longer uh, and they're kind of just starting here in the east and and I was thinking about how <clears throat> several years ago we had a, a gathering um, you know reach brought together some folks for to talk about decolonization and this topic came up and it was you know this radical idea that oh my goodness that people would actually acknowledge that this is uh, Wabanaki territory you know um that it was such a radical idea. And then now that people are doing it and it's turned into something that, you know, in some cases that's just rote and, and you know, up here in the head and, and not really in the heart and, and not followed by action. So it's, uh, I agree with you. It's not some, it's not, it's not a linear thing. Okay. You do this and then you check the box and you're done. You know, it's, it's ever evolving and we're ever needing to transform and keep, keep pushing ourselves to um, get to the place of restoration. 
Yeah, so it's in that spirit of um, it only being words on a page that I wrote. And I know all of you have, many of you have heard this, my parody land acknowledgement, which I'm happy to read because it's, you know, by popular <laughs> demand. Yeah, always. absolutely. Do it, um, do it. So in this, I wrote this when I was, I, forget, I think I was in California participating in a museums and library and like, you know, we've been doing work at Penobscot Nation related to traditional knowledge labels and, and building a Mukurtu site and uh, James and, and uh, Francis and I and some other people were in California, but they, they uh, um, UC Berkeley has a really bad history. I mean, all, almost all higher ed institutions really bad histories and ongoing problems with, with tribes, but they had a land acknowledgement and I was just like, oh my God, you know, their museum alone has had so many different difficult problems. I just couldn't take it uh, on the level. So I said, uh, I wrote a parody that I thought that was kind of going through my head when they were reading their land acknowledgement at UC Berkeley. And it went something like this in my head. Since we are so bad at genocide, we will now offer these heartfelt words of acknowledgement and apology for our presence in your homeland, yet we'll neither give the land back or do anything structural to change how we maintain our systems of colonial control over your lands, resources, and cultures. So it just captured to me like, mm. you know, people can say beautiful words all they want <laughs> and it doesn't really impact practice necessarily. Um, and I just, I guess when people come to me and this is, I can kind of grab, you know, put a button in this. When people come to me in terms of advice and we get them, I know Maria, you and Esther must get these requests to sort of like, how do we approach the land acknowledgement thing? I always yeah. say like, I'm happy to kind of help, right? I'm whatever, you know, <laughs> sure. Take my intellectual labor for free. I'm an indigenous uh, scholar. That's pretty much what people do. <laughs> um, but um I say, if you don't do this as a beginning to more structural and uh, profound engagement with, especially here in Maine, Wabanaki people and communities, it doesn't, you're not, you're not doing anything except making yourself feel better. And I just, um, I'm very, maybe my way, uh, usually people are like, oh yeah, I understand. A couple of people have been like, oh, what do you mean? And uh, they're like, you don't want me to say this if, if I don't have some partnership with tribes and I'm like, yeah, kinda, <laughs> I mean, like, like, well, why are you saying it then? Like, who's that, you know, what is the, what is the thing here? And, yeah. And I know it combats erasure and I, and that's very important for us, especially in Maine where, you know, the yeah. state and, and for so long has had so many programs for our erasure, much like indigenous, other indigenous people, but it's just a, it's yeah. in my mind. Yeah. It, when, when you talked about, this is Esther again, when you talked about um, being on words on paper, it reminded me of uh, when we were going through the process with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and envisioning what this commission would be like. And, and Denise Altivator had, I'm not going to quote her exactly, I won't get it, but she, she said, you know, we can, we can change policy all we want, but until we really internalize what we're doing and change our practice, you know, that policy is just words on paper. Um, <clears throat> you are listening to Dawnland Signals on WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Esther Ann. And I'm your co-host, Maria Gerard. Dawnland. We are talking this month with uh, Darren Ranko and Diane Oltrzewski. And the topic this month is land acknowledgments. 
So, um, Darren, I, I really appreciate your, your perspective. And you keep saying as you're, you're sharing along, acknowledging or, or thinking that you're being critical. And um, I just want to say that I appreciate that, you know, that we're able to, to look at this um, this practice critically and that it will only help to improve the land acknowledgements uh, into the future. So uh, one thing that I picked up on was uh, in order to it not just be words on paper, that people need to do it on their own. They have to do their own work around the land acknowledgement. So I wanted to introduce uh, our second guest into the conversation, Diane. Um, you know, land acknowledgements can come in all shapes and sizes as we were we were talking about. And, you know, one aspect is like a more spiritual aspect to the land acknowledgement. And Darren was describing, you know, how how uniform some of these um, land acknowledgements can can be in the institutions. So I wanted to bring you into the conversation, Diane, because you did a fabulous land acknowledgement last year for a uh, Quaker gathering. And I was really moved by it. And it felt as though there was a lot of work put into that. And I'm wondering if you'd like to share with us what that experience was like for you. Thank you, Maria. And thank you, Darren. You know, I, I guess I've been caught up like a lot of white people thinking, oh, it's just because there's this national swelling up of awareness of indigenous rights and sovereignty that, that the land acknowledgements are just coming forth. It's so good to be educated that they've been here for eons uh, as a sign of respect. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think that um, unless, I, I mean, I think when you're listening to them, you instantly know whether it sets you back on your heels and it's really a sign of respect and education. Sometimes you're, you're learning about history in that brief moment that maybe you didn't know and, and it wakes you up, you know, and then there are the mechanical ones that go in one ear and out the other. Um, when we when the Quakers were gathering last fall in China, Maine, at the Friends Camp, which is a, a beautiful setting, pine forests, you know, um, we I was asked to do the land acknowledgement uh, at the outset, and you know I sat with it. I'd never done one before, frankly, and um, I sat with it. And uh, interestingly enough, I, I've just come across this article. Uh, by historian Peter Stowell about the lost tribes of Western Maine. And since last fall, this has um, come into my awareness of many more specific tribes in the, in the whole Kennebec Valley, that whole area. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm adding them in wherever I can because it, it's so important to say the names, to revive the existence of, of these peoples. Um, so uh, I'll just share, I'll just share what I did right that day. Um, we gather here for the beauty of the forest, like sweet coolness of the air. And we feel in this atmosphere, a presence of many millions of souls over thousands of years who also loved this forest, 
this sweet coolness. We can imagine how they moved over the land, learning it, marveling at its secrets, scrupulously taking only what was necessary for life, leaving behind little more than evocative place names. It was a time when understanding the land, respecting it as you would a friend, was everything. Hereabouts, the Abenaki, Kennebec, Pequawket, Penacook, Sokokis, Kushnaks, Takonets, Naransuaks, and Pejepsquats all wove a web of kinship and unimpeded movement. We try to imagine that world, but our vision is blurred by all that has encrusted the earth since our arrival. So we acknowledge the good mind, abundance, and right use of traditional Wabanaki territory and aspire to empower its return. So that, that sense of uh, being, the need to tie it to action, uh, to education and action is just really important. Yeah. I like, uh, this is Esther, I, <clears throat> I haven't heard that since you recited it last year and I uh, am reminded how, how much I like it and appreciate it and, and that, um, you know, that bit of talking about how our, the Wabanaki relationship to the land, you know, and, and it reminds me of this, I think I, I said this before in another radio show, I think I messed it up, but I think I'll get it right this time. I saw this quote, I don't know who said it, but they said, when uh, the, and I'll, I'll substitute Wabanaki. Wabanaki mind thinks the word ours, we think of connection. The colonial mind says ours, they think of possession. So I, th that strikes me here too, you know, in our relationship to the land, um, seeing land um, as not, not just as a commodity or a resource, um, but have, you know, that different relationship. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing that I'm, I was learning from that article about by Stoll was that all his research showed that all of these tribes were intimately connected to water, to a, a specific river, to a particularly, you know, a river community. And um, it's, it just, it bears out down to this very moment, you know, how important, how ineradicable that connection with with a, a river source is you know for people that have lived there for for millennia yeah absolutely i really appreciated um your land acknowledgement as well and couldn't agree with you more about the importance of saying the names um you know that's that's very powerful um, I wanted to, to ask, and, um, I'd just be curious about all of our different thoughts on, on this topic. Like, as Darren said, we have all been contacted. Um, I know I have personally a lot by people seeking advice and information for land acknowledgements and, you know, and so it, it brings, um, 
us to a whole series of questions about, you know, who is it for? Who is the land acknowledgement for? And is there a wrong way to do a land acknowledgement? I know from myself personally, um, I'm a historian, and sometimes I cringe when I hear that the land acknowledgement is going off on this big um, history lesson. Um, and it feels to me like it's a little bit overboard and that it's forgetting the purpose of acknowledging the land beneath our feet. Um, and so that for me is always something that uh, if people ask me, you know, about land acknowledgements, I do tell them, you know, do your own work. That's important um, and have that experience, but, you know, to avoid turning it into uh, epic history lesson. Um, anyone else want to share their thoughts around, you know, who's it for and is there a wrong way to do land acknowledgements? How about you, yeah. Darren? Yeah, Maria, happy to, happy to answer that. Um, my approach has always been, uh, um, so in, in the, and I've talked to say Molly and Dana and, and some other folks about this too. It's sort of like, um, when we as indigenous people do our acknowledgements and we tap, you know, we're, we're connecting, I think with, with our own, um, ancestors and connection to land that, that will always be a different process than, you know, a colonial, a settler <laughs> in the context of a colonial institution doing it. Um, that said, them speaking words to this still can be important. Again, if it's matched up with, with some institutional and, and you know strong commitments towards towards you know them decolonizing or deinvesting in their settler, um, um, their settler investments in, in a variety of ways. Um, so I think uh, that will always be different in my mind. Like a native person, indigenous person, doing a, a, an opening and a, an acknowledgement versus and I and I get that you know some of the most effective ones and sort of like um, you know the words that Diane spoke were were, were excellent. But I, I'm recalling that. Um, David Hart, who runs the, um, the the George Mitchell Sustainability Solutions Center at the University of Maine, he, you know, we've we've put together some text, but he doesn't read the text, and he offers his own art heartfelt kind of engagement with it because he's really committed to issues, and he he takes very seriously through the Mitchell Center working, you know, in collaboration with with tribal communities. I think you know he's made you know, clear investments, our, our work around, you know, preparing for the Emerald Ash Borer, that's a lot of his work is behind that, all those things. So he offers his own take on it, which I think is good, but he's, you know, pretty deeply in, invested and engaged in what this all means and that kind of work, much like Diane is. Um, so I think the, the script of it um, uh, still can be done and be for, not so much for, uh, indigenous people, but um, someone in power, like the president of my university or the provost or my dean, reading it, even if they're reading it, and my dean is an, an English professor, so she always changes my wording anyway, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> but she, but and, and that's good, and she's also pretty deeply invested in in our work, <laughs> collective work, and, and, and in terms of decolonization. But she, you know, it's. Um, it is a an important signal by 
again, a settler colonial institution to say this matters, right? And let's not erase, let's not continue to do that erasure. Um, so I think that's important. And, and, what, you know, and further, like the ones that do it well, and, um, you know, we've, you know, um, I took a lot from and talked to a lot of the people who had helped sort of collaboratively co-write the, 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 the wording uh, for the Abbey, their land acknowledgement, because it was done by their native advisory council um, um, pretty much entirely. And um, one of the things that, that, that um, through that process and through my kind of collaborative process was this notion that there, there are ongoing violations to our lands, resources, and, and, and uh, sovereignty, like that notion of an ongoing, you know, not a historical thing like, oh, they were here and I guess, you know, sucks for them, they're not anymore. Um, but that, yeah. that approach to an ongoing set of injustice, I think is very important. And that was important to the, uh, the Abbey one. And then the, the second piece of that, and however you do in terms of the spiritual, and I think some people are better or able to access that. Um, so we haven't put a, a strong spiritual kind of frame to, to the one that we have at the University of Maine. But what we have in terms of the last, the last sentence of it is, you know, an ongoing recognition of sovereignty and self-government. You know, like that, those two reminders of an ongoing colonial apparatus and that we are, um, are, are self-governing and sovereign um, tribal nations seem to be very important. And when I don't see those things in it, I'm kind of like, mm, it's a little bit more like what you say, a history lesson, which doesn't really solve the erasure problem. If, if you're about saying, oh, well, we don't want to erase people anymore, having it as a history lesson strikes me as another form of the erasure. Mm. Yeah, I agree. When you know. say that, when you talked about, you know, being able to back up some of these words and you talk about the university I keep thinking like free parking would be great we'll take some free parking <laughs> uh, I will get on maybe that, that might require up. another MOU Maria. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah I can't this is Esther I can't help but think of the words um the because you know I'm so my mind is always focused on restorative practices. So, so my mind goes to acknowledging harm and vowing, you know, acknowledging how people, not only is this indigenous territory, but these institutions are, still benefit from the fact that this territory has been, we've been dispossessed of our territory and, you know, we, yeah. you know, through strategies of genocide and they still benefit. And then to think, take that even further, okay, I benefit. And uh, how do I repair the harm? How, how um, does acknowledging this land change my relationship to the land and what has happened and continues to happen? So I, I like all of that. I mean, these land acknowledgements, to say they're prolific is an understatement. I found a, a citation from Runner's World on, you know, uh, respecting the land that you're running on <laughs> by acknowledging the um, in original inhabitants of, inhabitants of the land. Yeah, and I yeah. agree. Just just to, 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 to add on to that, um, you know, in terms of the, the um, the ongoing benefit, right? Um, High Country News uh, and um, some partners published this 
this um, really great research in terms of looking at the implications of the Morrill Act, which, which established land-grant universities like the University of Maine. And it's, um, it's uh, I think, in a really good way called land-grab universities. And just, you know, really making those very structural connections to, um, you know, by seizing indigenous people's lands, what, what have settler states and, and institutions been able to do with that? Um, and how have they benefited from this, um, um, this um, taking of indigenous people's lands and resources? And to really put that in a, in a very keen way at, at the center of some of the acknowledgement, I think is important. And, and, and it's backed up, like, so I encourage your listeners, go to the land, you can just, you know, search for land grab universities, um, 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 and, and link to, to the articles there. And it backs up all their, it has data, it has historical like connections around land seizures and um, um, the Marsh Island history in terms of my campus at the University of Maine is its own, you know, perverse version of that in terms of taking our land as Penobscot people. And it, it paved the way for a lot of other takings. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I yep. think there's, there's, I think there's just such a, an important kind of ongoing understanding of the legacy into today. Like if you can't make the connection to today, then it feels failing. Mm. Excellent. You are listening to Don Land Signals on WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Maria Gerard. And I am your co-host, Esther Ann. Don Land Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change. And today, we are talking with Darren Ranko, head of uh, Native American Studies at the University of Maine, and Diane Alterzewski, um, a Belfast resident, a friend, uh, Friends Committee on Public Policy, and also a board member for Maine Wabanaki Reach. So we were just talking about... Um, if there was a, a wrong way to do land acknowledgements and, and who are these land acknowledgements for. So um, we just heard from, from Darren and thank you, Darren, for that excellent um, resource. It's very interesting. I'm going to go check that out, land grab universities. And, um, and just would like to invite uh, Diane into the conversation Add your thoughts to the. Yeah. Well, the you know, Thanks, Maria. Um, you had mentioned the other day that um, people were even inviting you to to make a land acknowledgement on their behalf. And, yeah. you know, I, I thought of, you know, I recently um, came across a wonderful book by Austin Channing Brown called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And it, there's an analogy in that book to what, what you experienced with that question. Um, she writes about, um, you know, when a, when a white person comes uh, to apologize to a black person for something that's happened, um, it's, it, the, it, it may relieve the white person of their guilt momentarily, but the effect for the black person is that her black body becomes the stand-in for the actual people harmed. And in a way, I just, I think it's the same thing. You, uh, if someone's asking you to acknowledge, you know, uh, the loss of Marsh Island, the, the loss of uh, 
eon, miles and miles of square land and water, you know, that were Penobscot territory traditionally. It, it just, it makes you the stand in for that pain all over again, you know. Um, That's very, very interesting. Yeah. And uh, I, I can't help but think of Esther and invite you into the conversation, Esther, because uh, just in conversations that we've had, you, I remember you saying, isn't the whole purpose of this for non-natives to acknowledge that they are on ancestral lands? Um, did you want to share your thoughts around this? Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> thinking about, you know, again, I, I think about to the time where it was so hard for people to even do that, that to even get people to acknowledge it was, was seemed, um, uh, you know, revolutionary, <laughs> right? But um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think, you know, it, and it speaks to the way that we have land acknowledgements aren't something new, aren't something that were invented by colonial institutions. So, so even, you know, like what we went through with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission on what that word reconciliation meant, because <laughs> it meant something different yeah. to Native people than it did to non-Native people. And land acknowledgement can do the same thing. You know, it's a different, like, I, you know, like that word ours, we have different worldviews. We, we approach it uh, different ways of knowing and being. So we think of it differently. So we think of land acknowledgements, you know, as part of who we are and what we do and how, you know, every, every day you wake up and, you know, you, you, you show gratitude for everything. And that of course includes the land. And, and if you go somewhere, you put yourself in context and in place and, and you know where you are in that place. You know, this is, this is not my indigenous territory. This is somebody else's, you know, and how do I behave when I'm here? And, and I need to at least acknowledge that, that, you know, I'm, I'm a guest or maybe not a guest, maybe I'm an invader, <laughs> you know, but, um, and it's, I think, so when I hear land, you know, institutions doing land acknowledgements, to me, that's a different purpose, sort of how Darren's kind of, you know, laid that out. But um, yeah, it is, we do have these conversations a lot because we do get requests and we, as Darren mentioned, we can um, <clears throat> put together a, a little resource list and we'll have it on the REACH website for people because there, there are some really good um, native created sites out there that set up, uh, guide people through a process, you know, that starts with self-reflection and starts with those really important questions about motive and gets people to really examine um, the, why they're doing something because the impact is, um, matters more than the intentions. Yeah, and I just, <clears throat> to extend that, I think, um, um, yeah, this is the, the grittiness of this work for any of us like who are in, you know, otherwise colonial institutions trying to fight for our people, you know, like that, that struggle, I think is, um, you know, also a struggle that, you know, any of these things not be on their terms, right? So it's, it's a very difficult um, process to say, you know, even the land acknowledgement, and you know, that, um, you know, restoration, like, even even hashtag land back, which I love is, I mean, I think most um, settlers feel like, oh, they're, they're talking about property, right? And then really the movement is about, and I believe Maria talked about this, these, 
the restoration of a series of relationships that we as indigenous people have with you know, humans and non-humans, past, present, and future. Um, and so that, to, to, to heal that and to reestablish those, those set of relationships, you know, it just reminds me of the bluntness of the colonial courts we're in that we're trying to get recognition of our river from, you know, like all those mm -hmm. sort of axes are so difficult um, um, to make it always not on their terms around it. And I think challenging the terms of it, um, and I haven't figured out a way to do that exactly in land acknowledgements. I think I think they do build build towards you know um, counteracting erasures and mm -hmm. and establishing um, protocols uh, to land. And maybe um, maybe that's you know again it's just that that's that beginning. I I like uh, this is Esther again. I liked what you had said about the university's land. I think it was the university's land acknowledgement that makes a point to recognize the sovereign. Tribal nations that are still here, which I think is important um, as we're talking about land back and changing those relationships. I think it's important for us to remember, um, you know, that those are the our tribal governments are the tribal sovereign nations that we have. Um, so I like that. Both of you have uh, mentioned land back. Hashtag land back. Um, can somebody say more about what exactly is? land back? Well, it is a uh, movement. I think it's, um, it is a movement that, you know, gained energy or sort of definition. And I probably should have, you know, thought about it more. Um, but I think after what happened in at Standing Rock and the um, the kinds of activism that was happening there, and, you know, that builds upon other activism, you know, we're not you know, the idea that somehow as, as, as Native people, you haven't been fighting all along to, for our own lands and our own self-determination sovereignty. I mean, it's not new, but that build on, you know, um, um, a whole series of, of movements that, you know, both, you know, Maria, you and Esther and, and, and other folks have, have um, been involved in over the years that uh, I think th this iteration that um, we be in more control, um, and we, our relationships to land um, be at the center of a movement. Land Back has taken sort of uh, some of the energy in around the activism related to the, you know, the, the, the engagements that uh, Native activists have had against pipelines and the, and the, you know, petroleum industrial complex and all that as a way to kind of reformulate that notion of not just resistance, but reformulation of the systems of land relations. Um, so right. as opposed to being just over against pipelines or the, the you know, coal and oil and fossil fuel industry, we're actually, our movement is signifying a reconceptualization of relationships to land. Um, again, the fact that we have a term with a hashtag in the English language, again, you know, almost fuels a misunderstanding of it, but when you see it enacted by activists um, beyond a hashtag in terms of the, the work that people are doing related to you know, pipeline resistance and other kinds of climate change uh, and climate justice movements, indigenous people are at the critical yeah. forefront of all that work. It's not a coincidence because it, it, need, it requires a reformulation. Yeah, this is Esther. I, I also, um, 
understood land back to to also include now I forgot what I was saying because I'm so interested in hanging on the last thing you said. Um, go ahead, Maria. I'll remember. I always do this at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to, um, you know, say for those who are listening who may not be familiar with that, uh, that movement land back, um, if we could say a little bit more about that and, um, hearing the rich discussion, I can't help but think that maybe this is a good topic for another program. That always happens at the end of the that show, does, too. We that, that does, formulating too. like, hey, that would be a great topic for another time. I remembered what I was going to say. Um, I Tangibly, what I can think of when land back and you're talking about changing the relationship, I think of projects such as the one Suzanne Greenlaw is involved in, in changing uh, access for Native people to harvest medicines and things that they need on public lands and things like So changing that kind of relationship. So tangibly, it can look like that. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean um, this whole property, um, ownership property, notion uh, of the colonial view of land right yeah totally and i think um you know one of the things that seems to be also land back is um um centered um around uh indigenous youth who have really been involved in, in shaping this which i think is really hopeful so i think you know um next generations um really taking on this work and through their own lens, but continuing the work, uh, you know, our you know, ancestors have all collectively done. I think um, they, the, I, I'm not big into branding or, or, or naming things, but I think, um, you know, sometimes that can be really helpful uh, as a way to communicate a movement, especially as um, like new people enter it, like our youth and they, will we'll seek to make it their own. And I think that's really important because they're, they have great legacies to build upon um, to, to do this work. So, and I just, you know, um, Esther and Rick, I mean, you two have been involved in this and some as activists in other um, ways, um, you know, I'm more of a academic type, but I, I'm hoping you know, we, we do work that supports that and it is interconnected. Yeah. Uh, this is Esther too, again, I wondered, um, you know, when I think of land back to and I think of uh, combating erasure and fixing um, untruths and, and uh, I, I think of racist monuments and, and um, like I know Castine and then maybe Brunswick and these towns that have these markers. Uh, there was a blog on our Reach's website a couple months ago by one of our volunteers who, who very quietly worked within her town of Yarmouth to get uh, a racist marker. You know, they just did it. Um, there was no hoopla or anything. They, they just did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, how that fits into this. And I see the the sign behind you um, in your your virtual background there on Zoom of the Fogler Library with the um, Penobscot name under it. Um, Weekahegan is it Weekahegan? I can't see it. Weekahegan, uh, Weekawam. Um, Weekawam. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I, <clears throat> yeah. you know, and I I didn't 
I just thought of that, you know, how does that fit into this? And, and is that may, maybe that's a tangible thing that people can do to put some action behind a land acknowledgement, like knowledge of the territory, the, the, you know, what has happened, what, what is happening and, and what, what is in your town? Like, look around, you know, what are the names of your streets, <laughs> you know, the, things like that. Yeah, this is I'm Diane. Oh. oh, go ahead, Diane. Oh no! I was just going to add that. Um, yeah, maybe the one, maybe one of the responsibilities, if you're going to do a land acknowledgement, is to promote understanding of what repair can look like. You know, and it's just things like that. What's in your What's in your own town that needs changing? Yeah, I was just going to piggyback what Esther was saying, and I'm always uh, in favor of the idea of renaming. Um, I loved the first time that I went walking on campus. I think it was um, early this summer. I went for a walk on campus and saw all those signs. I was excited to see those, and that's really good good work and, um, you know, a good collaboration between the university and, and Penobscot Nation. And uh, a lot of times, um, you know, some of the groups that we come in contact with may be uh, conservation folks um, who are interested in, in what are some of those tangible things that, that can be done. And I'm always in favor of renaming, like return that original name to that stream or return, you know, different points of the land, return that name to them. So, um I liked that idea when as to put it for renaming. Yeah, I, I really think that um, it helps people to to understand to have a different relationship with the territory or with whatever's being named. You know, I <clears throat> I, I like to share the story um, that Roger Paul has talked about the the word for in Passamaquoddy for dirt, dupquan right? And, and it's soil, right? Dirty soil, but in Passamaquoddy, it's source of life, you know? So if people can just see the, the, the different worldview just in the naming of a place, and they can more, I think, be more inclined to, to think of ours as connection and not ours as possession and have a different relationship to it. Mm, yeah. Um, I'm being mindful of the time as usual. I'm always watching the clock towards the end here and want to be able to leave space for any um, final thoughts on the topic or, or anything um, that comes to mind. I'll, um, I'll ask Diane first if you have any final thoughts for our program. You know, the other... The other month, you know, it, I thought to myself, every time I send a letter to anyone or any address in Maine, I just ought to say the town, the state, the zip code, and then beneath that, Wabanaki land. Um, you know, it's one way to put it out there. It may, may sound cute or silly, but um, I, I just might try it. <laughs> hey, I like it. <laughs> Darren, do you have any? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I was as I was preparing for this last night, I I was just looking at, you know, one of the things that you if you type in Google, um, and you type in land uh, acknowledgement, uh, 
oh, it's like one of the times I typed it in anyway, it was like, is it needed or is it fake or what? You know, like it was like really critical. And I was like, no, I'm the one that gets to be critical about this and, <laughs> and push people. And it was like, and it brought up all these like right wing like things like where they're like, we don't need to acknowledge some 200 year old treaty. I'm like, yes, you absolutely do. You know, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's a bad thing. Um, you, you absolutely do <laughs> have to do that. Sorry, uh, FCC. Um, but the, um, but that notion <laughs> that you don't have to um, um, acknowledge a treaty because it's older, like, that was rife with all these right wing, right wing kind of blogs against land acknowledgements, and I was like, okay, we, I need to be more, less critical. Like I need, we need to, you know, put them in there in terms of the, the the spaces around it, and um, you know, be specific about treaties and and obligations and ongoing. You know, I think that work is, um, so critical. It's just, um, so I I encourage as much as I want. I encourage that land acknowledgements are a great um, entry point for a decolonial moment at any particular institution and really for people to in, engage thoughtfully. And Esther, I, I think we probably found the same websites and resources that, you know, there, there are ones that lay that out um, in a really thoughtful way. So my apologies to um, hopefully, anyway, <laughs> my language, okay. I um this is Esther. I I just wanted to end with this one quote I found from an, another website, um, and it says, "If we think of territory territorial acknowledgments as sites of potential disruption, they can be transformative acts that, to some extent, undo indigenous erasure." I believe this is true as long as these acknowledgments discomfit both those speaking and hearing the words. The fact of Indigenous presence should force non-Indigenous peoples to confront their own place on these lands. And that's from a website. I can't pronounce it. Otherwise, I would. Tahoe. Yeah. So... Um... We are at the close of our show. The, the time really flies every time we're together. And I've already started scribbling some notes for some possible future programs. Um, I'd like to close by saying thank you to the listeners for joining us on Dawnland Signals. Thank you to our very special guests, Darren Ranko and Diane Oltazuski, um, for this uh, enlightening conversation. Thank you to our volunteer technician, Jeffrey Hodgkiss, for his assistance and support. Be sure to join us next month on November 19th and every third Thursday of the month for Don Land Signals and more conversations of truth, healing, and change. Stay tuned here on WERU-FN for the upcoming program, Radioactive, with Meredith DeFrancesco. Minach kanamio. Up to no meal.